Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And if you are anything like me, you know how powerful mindset is, whether in the positive direction or the negative direction. And I define mindset as the lens with which we see the world. And I'm telling you that when you see things different, things change, right? When you see things differently, things become different in your reality. And so I think it's really powerful for us to really focus on mindset, obviously, in this podcast from a high level in terms of identifying patterns, in terms of the way that we can train our minds to serve us rather than limit us or hold us back. And so I want to give you this gift of you know, this unique episode where we're tying together some gold in terms of mindset from some of the world's greatest experts on mindset that we've had on Elevate. So I want to encourage you to really buckle up because this conversation and this episode is extremely valuable in supporting the growth and really the construction of your abundant mindset and the mindset that's going to serve you to the greatest capacity for you to live an amazing life for you to have an amazing impact on other people, for you to leave an amazing legacy. So with that said, we've got amazing stuff from Sean Swarner. We've got amazing stuff from John Azraf, Brian Flaherty, and from myself. Hopefully you get some value from that one. Dolly Chug, Dawson Church, and Dr. Judd Brewer. And I want to encourage you to really enjoy this phenomenal mashup of Mindset on Elevate. Without further ado, enjoy. When you're literally staring the Grim Reaper in the face for years, you realize that petty stuff doesn't matter. Mm. Or that stuff that you think matters, it, it, it really doesn't. You know, family, friendship, health, happiness. You know, and, and I realized a long time ago that happiness wasn't something that, that was out there. You know, I'm, I'm not going to buy another home and, and, and think to myself, oh, that house is going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. You know, the, the, if, if, I, if I go buy a, a, a new car, you know, or whatever, a boat, that, that's not going to make me happy. Happiness is a choice. And even when I was going through my treatments, I, I, I knew they were going to suck. But with the proper attitude and just like being in the mountains, you know, going and we'll get, probably get to this, but going to the North Pole it was 80 below zero. Wow. But with the right attitude, it sucks less. Mm -hmm. So from the proper perspective, you can endure anything and, and find reason and purpose behind it. So talk to me about that. I mean, I definitely want to get into that. I want to talk about the right attitude and how you can endure anything. But before we get there, I mean, talk to me, I mean, if you were to reflect back on that experience, I mean, you're talking about your, basically your entire high school, you know, life, you were dealing with death every single day. You were facing death in the face and you overcame it. You beat it. So what would you attribute that victory to? I mean, that is truly, that's a victory, right? You won. So what would you attribute that to? I think everybody wants to have that silver bullet. Mm. You know, what was it? Modern medicine. Was it, was it uh, positivity? Was it prayer? Was it faith? Whatever it might be. 
I honestly think, and there, there's a movie called The uh, the Perfect Storm, right? Where everything comes yeah. and crashes this little boat. I think it, the same thing happened with me where it was a perfect storm, but for everything that came together, it was good. So it was just everything all at the right moment at the right time. And I think it was modern medicine, family support, prayer, and just an inner will to get up out of the hospital bed. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and again, going back to one step at a time, my first goal literally was to crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom. So I wouldn't soil my, so I wouldn't soil the sheets. I mean, I remember and, and not getting too vulgar, but I remember being in the hospital bed, not making it to the bathroom and, and literally projectile vomiting all over the bed. Mm. No, and, and, and that's not a, a, a fun moment to relive. It's not a fun moment to think about or even share. So I think it was a combination of a lot of things. And, and one of them too is, is what I teach people still is whether you think you can or you can't, you're absolutely right. Yes. And you have to oftentimes believe it before you see it. You know, everything that's, that's ever looking at, you know, the microphone you're using, the headphones you're using, um, the hat that I'm wearing, the shirt you're wearing, the, the poster on your, your, your wall back there, every single thing, the, the technology we're using, Zoom, every single thing that is in use right now was at one time a thought, just a concept. Someone believed it in, in, in it enough to follow through and actually do something with it. Mm-hmm. So you have to, no matter what it is, you have to believe it before you see it. So in that moment, how did you believe that you would overcome? Because I'm sure you're getting bad news left and right. People are, <laughs> hey, I'm praying for you. I really hope, that, you know, and they're programming you, right? They're programming you even further, perhaps negatively. Some people maybe were progr- pro- programming you in a positive direction. But how did you believe before you saw that victory? Absolutely. And, and I'd, I'd never even thought about it until you said this, you know, the other people were potentially, potentially programming my brain to see it negatively. You're, you're right. Hey, Oh, how you doing? Are you, are you feeling okay today? Right. Tone so, of voice. Yeah. yeah. Anything you need, which makes me go back to what I always tell my, my wife, myself, my friends, what I say is about me. What you hear is about you. Ooh. Right. Ooh. And, and, and that can be used in any situation, especially when you're sick. You know, it can be used for, uh, well, I, I don't want to get too deep, but, <laughs> you know, it can be used for religion. It can be used for race. It can be used for um, any sickness. Health, it doesn't matter. What I say is about me. What you hear is about you. So how I interpret it, what someone's saying, that, that's entirely up to me. Mm-hmm. Because no one can affect this. You know, no one can get in here except for me. I'm the one who programs my brain, not the news, not other people. It's my choice to see the world the way I want to see it. But most people are the default mechanism of their environment, right? So what's the difference, right? Because many people are programmed by what they hear. It seeps into their subconscious mind. It becomes a part of their identity. So what is that for you? I mean, are you, you guarding the gates of your mind, so to speak, or how does that work? we, I mean, human beings are creatures of repetition, right? And if we're not careful, we can have our bro- our brains programmed for us or we can program them ourselves. So for example, going back to humans being repet- uh, creatures of repetition. Yep. Um, when you woke up this morning, you probably, you probably have a, a morning routine you do. Sure. Absolutely. 
what do what do moms and dads do in the morning? What do um, meteorologists do in the morning? What do Olympic athletes do in the morning? They have a pattern. They have a routine. If you want something different, do something different. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to look at the situation. Just like going up any mountain, you, you don't show up at base camp and look up to yourself and get overwhelmed and say, holy shit, that's, that's a big mountain. <laughs> it, it is. But you break it down to manageable bite-sized chunks, one step at a time, as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So no matter what situation you're in, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Change one thing that you have control over. Um, and so the environment plays a, a huge role in your limiting beliefs. Uh, and if we're not taught to um, develop our mindset, if we're not taught to reinforce you know, a positive mindset, if we're not taught to reinforce a mindset of growth and a mindset of possibilities and probabilities, then by default, we're developing a limited mindset. And when we're dealing with, I always have my plastic brain on the table, we're dealing with a trillion dollar biocomputer, you know, and it's not, it's way more than a trillion dollars, but there's no user's manual for it. Um, And so, you know, when Mr. Brown sat me down the first day at work and he had me look at the goals that I had set and rewrite them clear with more precision uh, with the vision and the goals and what I would achieve them by, um, that was the first part of him showing me that I need to focus on some goals, whether I knew how to achieve them or not. And then he asked me, what do you need to believe in order to achieve those goals? First thing I wrote, I have to believe that I'm smart enough because I didn't believe I was smart. I have to believe that I'm worthy of these goals because I didn't believe I was worthy of them. I have to believe that I deserve these goals. So I wrote these goals. I'm smart enough. I'm worthy enough to achieve these goals. Um, He taught me the the power of affirmations and declarations, but not just um, writing them out and stick them in your drawer. Every day when I came into the office, every day, the first thing that I did and a couple of the other young agents, June 20th, 1980, uh, was we would look at our vision and our goals, and then we would read our affirmations out loud. It was so fucking embarrassing to read these, I am so worthy and I'm so smart. And it's like part of my brain is going, oh, no, you're not. You know, um, but what he also shared with me was that spaced repetition builds the pattern. And then once you build the pattern, the pattern then builds you. And so I started to um, read my goals every day. I started to visualize my goals every day. I started to emotionalize them as if it was true, like I was a Hollywood actor pretending. And all of a sudden, in doing that, plus learning a script, specifically a cold calling script. So it is, um, you know, 2020 now. This is 40 years ago. First script I ever learned was, hi, this is John Astroff with Alan Brown Real Estate. We have somebody who's looking to buy a home in the neighborhood. Have you thought about making a move? If they said yes, I had the next script. If they said no, I had the next script. And um, in doing that, cold calling 100 people a day, uh, I made $31,000 when I was 19, $6,000 more than my father. Now, that also means that Alan Brown made $31,000 because I was on a 50-50 split. And in year two, in addition to my visualization and my affirmations and my emotionalization, he said, I'm going to give you a different script. This one is for sale by owners. This is for people who already want to sell their home. And so the script was, hi, this is John Nassar. I noticed that you 
or try and stay home privately. If we have somebody that is looking to buy a home in the neighborhood, would you be willing to work out a deal with me where I bring my buyers over to you? We'll figure out a fair commission. So instead of trying to get them to list with me, all I was trying to do is get in the door. I learned another script. That script helped me make $150,000 at 20 years old. Wow. So I didn't just learn the inner game, I learned the outer game of precision. And in my case, I was in sales, right? That was commission only, you eat what you kill. So what Mr. Brown did for me back then, and this has been a lifelong study now for 40 years, is he taught me how to retrain my brain. My brain had been trained to have limiting beliefs and uh, limiting stories and excuses and reasons and meanings that I gave things that just weren't true. But I believed they were true because I trust my mother and father. I trust their friends. I trust my aunts and uncles. That was my environment. I grew up in a wonderful, loving environment that had very limited thinking. I believe in business, it's not about necessarily competing, it's about creating, but using that energy in a way that you are, you're competing with yourself, you're competing with your previous version of yourself, you're competing with the previous version of your company, your team is competing with the previous version of itself. And it's not competing in that, you know, I hate this other person, or I hate this other company, or I hate my quote unquote competitors, and then I'm gonna crush them at all costs. It's just that I demand more of myself and I find, you know, value in continuing to grow in that capacity. But, you know, the accountability factor to me, it, it really does seem like it's that cornerstone and that when it becomes more than just about you and like your ego of like, I won and I went faster and I did more, then something magical happens. Cause when you're, you know, you're doing this to say, look, it's not just about me, but when I do this, other people benefit. That's why like one of the things you and I love about our sort of tagline or our, our purpose behind our business is elevating communities together. And it's not just about us, but it can be about each other's families. It can be about, the families that are involved in the properties that we acquire, the families that are involved, you know, who invest with us, the families that are involved in living near the properties that we invest or all of these things. I mean, like there's so much, there's so many dominoes. And I just think that that accountability, like I'm just realizing it like to a really high degree in this conversation, that accountability allows you to become greater. And to me, that's like, dude, the abundance mentality is like at play right then. Everybody wins. What would you add to that? It, it all gets back to that. You just said at the very end there, the abundance mentality. And it's almost if you just put, think about it in your own terms and yourself and how far can you go? It's almost a selfish mentality, which will get you a certain, you know, you're, you're going to hit a ceiling if that's your mentality. But with the abundance mentality, there is no ceiling. Like you just keep going and it doesn't, it never stops. And, and that's not something that I was born with by any means. And it has definitely been something that I've had to grow into um, recently. And I can't remember if we've talked about it in the past, but it's something that, that definitely sticks with me. It's an old, I believe, African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's something that I've really tried to implement in my life. And I think when one of the original episodes, we talked about kind of our plans and intentionality, and it was probably 10 years ago, I said, all right, I'm going to, I set out on this quest and I'm going to 
become, you know, I'm going to launch my own private equity firm and it's going to buy up all kinds of multifamily and I'm going to be the CEO and all these people are going to work for me. And it, re- and it makes me realize and almost you can see me <laughs> laughing now at myself, how green I was and, and how thankfully my viewpoint has shifted um, because I certainly wouldn't have found success if that continued to be my viewpoint, because it really is that abundance mindset and mentality. And going out and supporting others and having other folks hold us accountable. Um, and what's cool about our industry is, you know, there's, there's competition to a certain degree, but we say it all the time. I, I, I truly, and I truly believe this. We don't have competitors. We have nothing but colleagues. Like that's what's so unique about our industry is we can be entrepreneurial and go out. And just because there's other groups that are buying similar type of assets and properties we are like, we can do deals with them. We can do deals outside of them. We can share our partners with them and they can share their partners with us. And we do this all the time. We have, I have conversations all the time with groups that are just like ours. And all we do is talk and just share best practices and say, what are you doing? What are we doing? Like, how can we all raise the bar together? And how can something that you're doing make me better. And hey, here's something that I'm, I'm doing that we found success with. Now you take it and you go implement it and you be better and you make your firm better and company and all of your residents and your family and yada, 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 and make and just make everybody better and have that abundance mentality like you're talking about. You know, I've, I've mentioned this and, um, you know, the, uh, the segment where I talk about coaching, you know, I did have hopelessness and sometimes even sleepless nights. I, I did feel that early on as a real estate investor because I made so many mistakes and I felt like I was going to go broke. You know, I felt like the deal was not going to be able to support itself. You know, I was funding negative cash flow for, you know, a a fairly substantial period of time. And of course, when you're in that type of stress, time slows down, right? You know, every single day is like a total battle. And then at nighttime you lay down and you're like, how am I going to pay this? You know, how am I going to pay the mortgage and all these things when my tenants aren't paying their rent? And I'm like, they didn't tell me about that in the book. They didn't tell me that, you know, the real world is so much different um, than how you read about real estate investing. So, you know, the question um, that I I think that I ultimately came on, and it was more so just the pressure of the situation. I started to ask questions, not only of myself, but of other people. And, you know, I think when I was in that state of stress, when I'm saying all these circumstances are overwhelming me. So, you know, I I'm the victim, right? I'm the victim of all these horrible things. Um, you know, I think I kind of like got got to a point where my back was so far against the wall that I just said, you know what? You know, God's got to take over here. That's one thing. God's got to take over. I've got to let this go. I've got to get this off my shoulders. And I think my stress, you know, was removed in that moment. So I went from helpless to resourceful because then I went from, well, you know what? I'll figure this out. I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. And and resourceful is the state that you want to be in, you know? And I think that thinking of quotes, like what Marcus Aurelius said here, when you have the power of your mind, not outside events, but you, if you realize this, you will find strength. I found strength in recognizing that, you know what, the circumstances of the property, the circumstances of the submarket, the circumstances of the operations of property management of all these things, you know, I don't have the power over all of those things. I have the power over the control that I have of management, of operations, of, you know, taking care of, you know, renovations, of communicating and, you know, really strengthening my team. Even if my team was so weak at that point, it was about, 
well, wait a minute, how do I make it stronger? Instead of just saying, well, woe is me, I wave the white flag and saying, what can I do? And I think going from that state of helplessness to resourcefulness was a huge shift for me. And it's been something that's really stuck with me ever since. So I hope that's helpful for you. But, you know, I, I think of some other quotes uh, when I think about really the power of our mind and how do we view things? How do we view, um, you know, external events and external circumstances or, or even our life circumstances, right? We sometimes have uh, bumps in the road that are challenges. And so it's, it's not a matter of what those are. It's, it's how do we react? How do we act? And, you know, Earl Nightingale, one of the greatest uh, thinkers in personal development history, uh, says that we become what we think about all day long. And I, I think that's super powerful as well, because if we're thinking, if we're focusing on the negatives, or we're focusing on our problems, well, then guess what? More of those problems come. There was a moment, I don't know if you saw it, it just happened this week with the um, Australian Open, the, the tennis championship, where Naomi Osaka won. And she was giving a very gracious, like, you know, victory speech. And her, I'm, I'm, forgive me, I don't remember the um, person she beat, her last name, but her first name is Jennifer. And- uh, Was Warinka? Is it Warinka? Maybe, maybe, yes, okay. thank you. Okay. Yeah, and so while she was giving the speech, you know, she wanted to say something nice about her opponent. And she realized like literally mid speech, like on national television, that like she didn't know exactly how she says her name. So she turned to her and she said, do you go by Jenny or Jennifer? And everyone heard her say Jenny. And then Naomi went, I want to thank Jennifer. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yes. <laughs> Poor thing is it's like all the thoughts. And I think that is exactly the point, right? That our minds are doing a lot of things at once. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what we intend in the actual impact or what, what is sort of front of mind or explicit and what's implicit um, sort of happening on autopilot they're not always the same. And that's where we sometimes, uh, that's where being goodish is really important because rather than saying, well, um, which is a technical term for <laughs> fixed mindset, uh, instead we can sort of lean into those moments, be mortified of course, but then say, well, there it is. All right, what do we do the next time? Yeah, and, and the thing that I do think is really fascinating is that our brain is processing 11, is it 11 million bits million. of information at a, any moment? How, any, I mean, how's that possible? Right, and, and, and you know, it's, I like to think of them as the thoughts in those moments are little T thoughts, not big T thoughts. Like big okay. T thoughts are, you know, you and I right now are both sort of thinking about what we're going to say next and <laughs> understanding what, what each other has just said. Those are big sure. T thoughts. Mm -hmm. but, but little T thoughts are like the fact that, you know, you and I both know which direction to look in uh, for the camera. And we both can sort of feel our shirt, but we're not really consciously thinking about our shirt at right. this moment. And we can detect the temperature in the room, but that's not, but those are little T thoughts. So when we say mm -hmm. 11 million thoughts, there's all this stuff your body's doing right now, your mind is taken care of in the background. Um, you're detecting language. You're interpreting my nonverbals, sure. while you're interpreting my verbals. So the, the, the 11 million thoughts that are autopilot thoughts are in contrast to in that same study, they said 40, that's four zero conscious thoughts or capital T thoughts in that moment. And what we tend to think of when we say thinking or beliefs or attitudes are the things that are those capital T thoughts mm -hmm. and, and what science has shown us over the last 50 years 
and three Nobel prizes literally have sort of hinged on this insight is that there's all this other stuff that's outside of awareness. Yeah. And what I, what I also understand is that, you know, and you may be even saying blowing this number out of the water, but 95% of our brain is subconscious. Maybe it sounds like even more, right? Yeah. I mean, I think in what, you know, these things are, depending on which study you look at, you might get a sure. different number. But yeah, 95%, 99 99.9, 99.9, 97%, a wow. lot. I think the point is a lot more. Sure. Than, it, it, the most important point is it's it's not only a lot, it's more than we would guess it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the key. So in terms of our psychological literacy, you know, our, our you know, that that sort of understanding how our mind works and where we need to sort of be on alert, you know, like when people you're giving directions to someone and they, you say like, you know, just watch out. Cause if you see the gas station, you probably missed the turn, you know, that <laughs> right. kind of thing. those little, like look out for it. Well, I think that this is what happens. It, it's good to know that we might be overestimating how much of our mind is being processed consciously. Cause then it's like, well, look out for that. You know, if you start assuming that you understand everything your mind's doing, you probably missed something. Well, and it's a really powerful understanding to know how powerful your mind is, right? It's doing all these things without overwhelming you or using all of your energetic resources. So like we could either look at this and say, oh my gosh, that's overwhelming. Or we can say, wow, how powerful of a tool do we have? And how do we understand how to use it better? They looked, the researchers looked in Graham Phillips's brain at the size of his dentate gyrus. So again, only eight weeks of practicing mindfulness. And now he goes back, gets his brain measured and especially those emotion regulation structures. And in eight weeks, his dentate gyrus grew by 22.8%. Wow. I mean, just imagine going, working out in the gym on your, say, your deltoids, and then you come back in eight weeks of practice, and your deltoids are 22.8% bigger. You know, you'd be, you'd be really happy about that. <laughs> if only your muscles were that easy, but it'd be our, our brains, parts of our brains can grow and change that quickly. So anatomically, he's now just not able, not just as a habit of the, of, the, of the mood of inner peace and dampening stress and emotional regulation. He literally has hardware in his brain and he built it 22.8% bigger in only eight weeks. So neuroplasticity is the one miracle, but the speed with which we remodel our brains is astonishing, much faster than the speed with which we we regulate our muscular change by working out. So that's the other big takeaway from this brain is you can get happy and you can get resilient quickly. Yeah, no, that's extremely powerful. And when you think about that type of growth, I can only imagine the compound effect over years. I mean, if you think about eight years or eight, you know, 28 years of this type of practice and thinking about focused mindfulness meditation, I know that, you know, sort of the new age entrepreneur, the new age real estate investor, these are the people who are the most successful. These are the people who not only live the most fulfilled lives, who can regulate their own emotions and understand when there's maybe some negative <laughs> things in our environment and, and perhaps be aware of that yeah. and say, well, how do I want to react? Because in between stimulus and response, there's that space. And that's what you're talking about. But if we were to think about some practical tips, right, on training our brains, Beyond, you know, meditation, uh, and perhaps we could even talk about maybe some specifics around meditation, but are there any tips that you might suggest for folks other than, and, and maybe this, we do to go down the path of, Hey, a mindful lifestyle is what we, what we'd like to talk about, but what would you say to that? Well, I would say 
it's helpful to be to focus in on things that might be causing us pain or suffering, right? So as a as a concrete example, let's well let's use anxiety because we've we've been talking about that already. So somebody is struggling with anxiety, one way to train their mind is to start by understanding how their mind works. And so one thing I have people do, I've actually do this with virtually all of my clinic patients is I have them, I give them the homework to go and map out habit loops around anxiety. You know, what's the trigger? What's the behavior? What's the result? And in fact, we put together a free habit mapper. Anybody can download this PDF. I think the website's just mapmyhabit.com. But the idea is you got to know your mind before you can work with it. Once you know how your mind works, then you can work with it. So the concrete way to start that is just to start mapping out our, our minds. So what are my habits around anxiety? Is it my to-do list that I get worried about? Is it you know, family member safety or something like that? That's the first step. The second step is then really just checking in with that cause and effect relationship. What's the behavior and what's the result of that? And the reason that we focus on that is that's how reinforcement learning works. It's not based on the behavior itself per se, it's based on how rewarding the behavior is. So if something's really rewarding, we're gonna keep doing it. So if we ask ourselves, you know, is this worry rewarding? What am I getting from this? We can see, oh, it's not rewarding. We start to become disenchanted. So that's the second step where it's like we've mapped out our habit loops. We start to become disenchanted with the worrying. And notice how both of these steps only require one thing, which is awareness. Mm. You have to become aware of these habit loops and you have to become aware of the results of these, of the, of the habitual behavior. The third step is bringing in this bigger, better offer. You know, this, I think of it as the, the, the BBO. Because, you know, it, our brain, based on rewards, it's going to say, give me something better than worrying. And this is where the curiosity and, and kindness come in. I, I think of kindness as another category that complements curiosity because we often run into habit loops where we are judging ourselves and are, we beat ourselves up. We can ask ourselves, what do I get from this after we map them out? And then we see that beating ourselves up isn't that helpful. And then we can compare that to being kind to ourselves, you know, and, and kindness wins every time. It's a, it's a no brainer. <laughs> it's so, so practical. That's, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So that's a concrete way, you know, it's three steps on, uh, and it's all of those steps are basically predicated on, on awareness. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.